So we're going to study the doctrine of God, and we're going to do that in the next 25 minutes. So, right? So we've got a lot. You can see there's 12 points, and we're just really, these aren't, this is not an exhaustive list of the character or qualities of God, uh, but this is a, a starting point uh, on that. And I want to start out by just reading a, a few quotes um, that I think will help as we kind of jump into this tonight. Uh, this is from Wade Grunem. He says, Just as Scripture is the highest source of information about itself, God is the highest source of information about Himself. That makes sense. For if there was a higher source of information about God, then God wouldn't be God. Therefore, if it is important that any study of God look at what God says about Himself, and that's found in the pages of Scripture. And so, again, what, what this quote is saying is that we're going to uh, hear about God and who God is from God through Scripture. Um, and so not, not really a whole lot of need for outside source, maybe sometimes for explanation of things, but God reveals Himself to us uh, in Scripture. Um, and so I'll read one more. It says, We can know God only as He reveals Himself to us in Scriptures. We cannot know the Scriptures until we're willing to be changed by them. Knowledge of God occurs only when we also know our deep spiritual need and, when our, and we are receptive to God's gracious provision in, for our need through the work of Christ and the application of that work to us by God's Spirit. Having established this base, we nevertheless come back to the question of God Himself and we ask, Who is God? Who is the one who reveals Himself in Scripture, in the person of Jesus Christ, and through the Holy Spirit? So, um, on your top of your outline, it just says introduction there. Um, and, and so I'm going to read uh, a lot of these verses I've typed up for you. These, these I do not. And so if you want to turn there, I'm going to go quickly reading through those. But Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2 says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by a son whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Um, again, so what the author of Hebrews there is telling us is that God uh, revealed Himself, and he's re referencing here Old Testament, to prophets and to the fathers by the prophets. In these last days, and they're referencing then the day that Christ was here, He spoke to us, or He revealed Himself through His Son, and then now He reveals Himself through God's Word. And so Dave and Nathan had both spent about two weeks going through uh, different aspects of the Bible and how the Bible is trustworthy and how the Bible is our source. And then uh, Nathan talked about the different translations of the Bible and how uh, we can trust those translations. And um, I would say, we, we, I hope that you appreciate the availability of Scripture to us. Um, some, some people want to get stuck on uh, one particular translation, and that's the only translation or whatever, but what we should be focusing on is how blessed we are that we have such availability to God's Scriptures. Um, you, some of you have traveled and some of you have been in places where they don't have Scriptures available to them. And the fact that at, I mean, on my phone I can pull up just about, I don't know, 10 or 15 different trans, English translations of the Bible. And we are blessed. We are blessed. And, and what's... Uh, Unfortunate, I think, is in some cases because it's so available that we don't really cherish it um, because, you know, it's just there. Uh, and, and so God has revealed himself to us through Scripture. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, we, we read this Sunday morning in church, of this salvation, 
The prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. In other words, it's saying that God revealed himself first to the prophets, same thing that Hebrews was telling us. Uh, verse 11 of 1 Peter 1 says, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating we testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Again, he's referencing here, Peter's referencing the prophecy of the Old Testament pointing to the sufferings of Christ or to the cross. Uh, so again, this is saying the same thing in a different way that the author of Hebrews is saying, that God spoke uh, in the ancient days, if we're lack of a better word, to the Old Testament prophets by the Holy Spirit. Then he spoke through Christ, his son. Now he speaks to us, reveals himself primarily through what? The scripture. This is, this is God's revelation of himself to us. Um, I can't remember which person it was and which lesson it was, but I know Nathan or David, one of them specifically said that to be really carefully, we, we don't need any more revelation of God. If someone comes to you and says, I have a revelation from God, then say, well, let, show me the Bible, because this is God's revelation. Okay? In various times or in past times, he revealed himself to people through the Holy Spirit. Now he's revealed himself. We have God's revelation to us. And so where are we going to get the source of who God is? All of that to say, we're going to get this source through the Bible. Um, you have also on your top of your outline, Romans chapter 1, 18 through 20. Um, and really this is, I'll, I'll let you take time to read it. I won't take time to read it this evening. But this is what would be classified as the general revelation of Christ, or general revelation of God. That God revealed himself, not only now through the Bible, which would be under the category of special revelation, but now when you think of creation, that God had revealed himself to all of mankind in what is classified then as general revelation. And Paul said, because of creation, we all stand guilty before God because in creation we see the revelation of who? God, the creator. Okay, And so kind of our baseline as we walk through this. So the point number one is uh, God is self-existent. God is self-existent. So even in the beginning in the Bible, right? The first line, in the beginning, what's the next word? God. In the beginning, God. So the Bible, the revelation of God himself, doesn't start out by trying to defend or prove that there is a God. The assumption is that there is a what? God. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so what... Um, what those who would argue Scripture would, what we would call this is God is the uncaused cause, right? So God has always been and always will be. He's self-existent. Um, Nathan mentioned two weeks ago in Exodus chapter 13, or excuse me, ex Exodus 3, verse 13 and 14, when he was talking about who Jesus is, he mentioned the statement that Jesus said, I am has sent me. And what was he referencing? Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 14. Let me uh, read it for you. It's on, on your outline this, this evening. Verse 13, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so, uh, again, what this word means or this statement, I am who I am or I am that I am, is really this name Jehovah, which has more understanding than just, oh, that's 
my name. That is John over there. Or that is God over there. But it's a descriptive name. And, and it's describing that God um, has always been and will always be. Okay, so it's not just saying this is John over there. This is saying I am the one who has always been and will always be. And again, to, to go back into this word, I am self-existent. In other words, God is not um, reliant on anyone else. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. God is self-existent. Um, so let's move on to the second one. God is self-existent. Number two, God is self-sufficient. God is self-sufficient. And again, these somewhat overlap a little bit in their definition. God is self-existence that he doesn't depend on anyone. And God is self-sufficient is that, again, um, well, let's look at it this way. Because I, I've heard um, people say God created us because he needed fellowship. Did God create us because he needed fellowship? Yes or no? Did God create us for fellowship? Yes, but he doesn't need us for fellowship, okay? So uh, just even that one word exchange there puts uh, some dependency that God needed us. And, and the truth is God doesn't need us. Um, we exist to glorify God, right? So our, our mission statement as a church, we exist to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples. We exist to glorify God. So did God create us because he needed more glory? Yes or no? No, he didn't, right? And so sometimes the way we word things may imply or unintentionally apply, well, because God created us to glorify him, then, then he needed more glory. But he didn't, and he doesn't, all right? Um, so another thought. Um, we, we were created with a choice to love God or not to love God. So does God need me to love him? He doesn't, does he? Is, is, is God going to cease to be God because I choose not to love him? Right? That seems really obvious, right? No. So here on a practical note then, when, when Scripture gives us the commission to go and make disciples who make disciples, to baptize them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, does, does God need me in order to reach the lost? That's a tricky one, isn't it? Does he need me? We can say no, right? Has he asked me to be involved in reaching the lost? You see the slight, the slight difference. And, and so when, when, if I'm going to sit here and say that God needs me, wh wh to what level have I raised my importance? To his level, right? God, God needs me to be a part of what he's doing. God has chosen to use us to be a part of what He's doing. God doesn't need us, but God, which I like better, wants us. God wants us to be involved. I remember when, um, when my kids were little and I illustrated this, and it just clicked in, in, in my head. We used to eat all the... We always liked Mexican food. Can I get an amen? And so uh, different times. Before there ever was a Roses, we used to go to Taco Cabana all the time. And the one over here off seminary in Toronto. Uh, and 35, and until someone got killed in the patio, we stopped going. But anyways, uh, when Blake was little, you know, two, three years old, and we'd go over there and eat, and, you know, you get the, the fountain drink, right? And he always wanted to be a part of the process of getting the cup filled up. 
And so every time I'd be holding him, and we were there quite often, and, and uh, I would put the cup up there, and it had the little silver lever, you know, where you put the cup. He thought that the light on the top where it said COVID or whatever, that that's what caused the drink to come out. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good at deceiving. And so, like, when he pushes it, I push the cup in. If his finger comes off, the cup comes off. Are you, are you guys tracking with me? All right, he was a part of the process. Did I need him to fill my cup up? Did he feel special that he was a part of filling my cup up? But really, was he doing anything? No. And that's similar to where we are with God. God wants us to be a part of the process, and he wants to involve us in the process. But the truth is, who's making the coke come out of the drinking fountain? God is, right? It's not, it's not me. But I get to be a part of what he is doing. That's pretty awesome. When I think of that uh, globally in our church, and, and, and you think about all the missionaries that this church has a partnership with all over the world, and really, am I doing anything? No. Do I get to be a part of what God is doing because every week I put some money towards missions? Yeah, that's exciting. That's exciting. So God is self-sufficient. Man, I went way longer there than I was intending, all right? Self-sufficient. He doesn't need us. I like what Jesus said in Luke chapter 3, verse 8. I think it is on your outline. And just read the last part of that. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Okay, God doesn't need me. That pretty much clearly states it, right? God, God can do whatever he wants. God is God. I, I love this quote. God was under no constraint no obligation, no necessity to create. That he chose to do so was purely a sovereign act on his part, caused by nothing outside himself, determined by nothing but his own mere good pleasure. God is self-existent, self-sufficient. The third one here is God is eternal. Again, uh, this would go back to the same statement that he gave Moses I am who I am. So it's, it contains that idea of self-existence and self-sufficiency. And then also, I, who I've always been, I always was, and I always will be. Okay, um, so again, on your, on your scripture there, well, Abraham said in Genesis 21, 33, that God was the everlasting, Jehovah was the everlasting God. Uh, Psalms 90, verse 1 through 2, again, this is on your outline. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had informed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Always have been, always will be. Revelations 1.8. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. God is eternal. Uh, if you want to write down these two references, they're also in Revelation. We won't take time to read them. But Revelations 21, 6 and Revelations 22, verses 12 through 13. So Revelation 21, 6, Revelations 22, 12 through 13. So self-existent, self-sufficient, he's eternal. Uh, the next one, number four there, he's unchangeable. All right, uh, Psalms 102, 27. But you are the same. And your years will have no end. Malachi 3.6 For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Um, and so kind of two sub-points under this, which are not on your outline, but you can write them out if you want, is God is unchanging in His purpose. 
Okay, God is unchanging His purpose. Um, Psalms 33.11. Psalms 33.11 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of His heart to all generations. Um, in other words, I can't mess up God's purpose. Right? I can't stop God's purposes from happening. Um, Ephesians 1, 4-5 says, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. According to whose will? Mine or God's? According to, to God's will. All right? Before the foundation of the world, it says. Ephesians 1, 11, continuing that same chapter, says, In Him also... We've obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. So God's counsel is what? Or is who? Himself. His will. According to the counsel of His will. All right. So I can't stop God's purposes. Um, not only are God's purposes unchanging, again, so this was the kind of second sub-point under unchangeable, is God unchanging in His promises? I love this verse, Numbers twenty-three nineteen. Uh, it's not on your outline, so you might write this reference down. But Numbers twenty-three nineteen. God is not a man that He should lie, nor a son of man that He should repent. Has He said it, and He will not? Do, will He not do it? Or has He spoken, and He will not make it good? Aren't you glad that if God says it's going to happen, then there's no doubt it's going to happen? And all throughout Scripture, you see His promises fulfilled. Um, and, and then when you look back on Scripture and see promises or prophecy fulfilled, and you realize that God is always going to fulfill His promises, then looking forward to the future, when we see the revelation of what God is going to fulfill, what God is going to do, can we trust what the Bible says God is going to do? And when we trust that, we realize that, that we as believers in the winning No, it's not. It's just out now. There it comes. Came back. Hold on. Let's see. I think we're good. I'm talking too fast, maybe. All right. So, Numbers 23 19. Then Hebrews 6 13 through 20. Hebrews 6 13 through 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could not swear by one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise of the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable or unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. Who have fled for our refuge to lay hold on the hope set before us. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Aren't you glad that you can trust the Word of God? I think you can do better than that. Aren't you glad you can trust the Word of God? Self-existent, making sure you're awake. Self-sufficient, self-existent, eternal, unchangeable. And, the, and number five here is God is omnipresent. Right? And simply meaning God is not limited by space. He is in all places at all times. 
And you can sit and think about that for a while and it'll just blow your mind, okay? So we'll just trust God's word, right? We're not going to try to completely unpack that. But Jeremiah 23 says, Am I God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Aren't you glad that God is close? God is near us? Can anyone, verse 24, hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? God is everywhere. Uh, the psalmist said in Psalms 139, Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even their hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. That might have been a good passage for, for Jonah to read when, when he took off, right? Jonah tried to run from God. Can, can you get away from God's presence? You can't, can you? God is there. God is spirit. God is in all places. Uh, omnipresent. Okay, big word. Number six there, God is omniscient. Okay, so really um, meaning God knows everything. And not only does God know everything, God has all wisdom. Um, you know, wisdom is knowing what to do with the knowledge you have. And God has both. It's one thing to have all knowledge, but God has all knowledge and all and all. John 3.20 says, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. God knows everything. You guys ever uh, had that experience with uh, your kids where they just seem to th think you know everything? Uh, I mean, it happened to me all the time. I don't know if it happened to you guys, but uh, I was reminded of that. You know, uh, my, my kids are at the age where I, I really don't know anything, uh, but at one point I knew everything. You guys crossed over that? Yeah. And uh, I think at some point, uh, I'm hoping at some point your kids think you know something again, right? So you go from knowing everything to nothing to hopefully something. Am I, am I going to make it there, you guys? Are you, everybody all right? Uh, and last night, uh, Piper uh, is staying at our house, and uh, I was reminded of this. She, she was trying to describe for what she had for dinner. She said, I had, um, and I said, taquitos. And she had this look on her face like, how did you know? She said, I know, I know everything, Piper. And uh, I, don't, I don't know how I knew. I just guessed, actually. But then later that night, she comes in into my office. I was reading, and, and uh, I said, are you wanting to walk on the treadmill? And she got the, how did you know? It's like, I know everything, Piper. And uh, so don't tell her any different. But God does know everything, doesn't he? And that... Does that, does that thrill you or scare you? Or both? Both. Um, God knows everything about you. Um, but even past that, God knew everything about you before he created you. Uh, that, so that may blow your mind a little bit. And God knew everything about you before he created you, and yet he still sent Jesus to die for you. That's, that should overwhelm us, right? So God is omniscient. And there's some scripture. I won't take time to read it because we're running out of time. But number seven, God is omnipotent. So it's one thing for God to be everywhere in all places at all time. It's one thing for God to know everything and have an all wisdom. But if he has no power to deal with it, what good is it? Right? To just be in a place and have no knowledge or no have power to act on your knowledge you're of no value, are you? 
But God not only knows, not only is God there, and not only does God see, but God has the power to do something about it. Um, he's omnipotent. I love First Chronicles 29, 10 through 12. And, and uh, this passage was actually uh, after they had collected money for uh, the, um, the temple and Solomon is writing and he's just a praise unto God. And he says, uh, excuse me, David was writing, therefore David blessed the Lord before the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. God is in control. He has all power. Um, I, I, I memorized that verse. I was having trouble reading that because I memorized that verse a long time ago in a different translation. Um, and, and it's just kind of stuck with me for, for, I don't know, about 25 years. And it says, I adore you as being in control of all things. Riches and honor come from you alone. And it is by your hand that men are made great and given power to acknowledge that everything that I have, how did I get it? Was it because I worked hard? Because I stayed awake at my 7.30 class and learned about Christology and Soteriology and Harmardiology and all that? No. How, how did I get what I have? How did you get how you, what you have? It's God, wasn't it? Everything in heaven and earth is yours, O Lord. And this is your, your kingdom. And it goes on to say, riches and honor come from you. And you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. In other words, I have what I have because God gave it to me. And God is all powerful. And, and there's plenty of scripture in there. I love we've been reading Ephesians chapter 3 or memorizing Ephesians 3.20. We've been... Uh, hopefully, if you uh, haven't started doing it at 3.20, take a minute, stop, and pray. But what does it say there? That is His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or think. God is a big, powerful God, isn't He? Aren't you thankful for that? Not only is He eternal, not only does He know all things, not only is He omnipresent in all places, God has the power to change things. And then just a few quick ones. We're going to walk through these pretty quick because I think you probably already understand these. Number eight, God is holy. He's God is without sin. He is our standard. He is perfect. He is sinless. God is holy. Uh, number nine, God is just. Um, also, I think interchangeable there is God is, is just, but God is righteous. Um, is this verse, let me make sure this verse is... Yeah, it's not on there. So if you want to turn with me to Romans chapter 3, you can do that. I'm going to take the time to read uh, those verses. And these kind of all go together. God is, God is holy, and God is just, and God is good, and God is love. And, and these kind of play out in Romans chapter number 3. Remember uh, when God created heavens and earth, and God created Adam and Eve, and God told them not to eat of the forbidden fruit, and thanks to Adam sin entered into the world, right? And, and what, was the, what was the punishment that God told Adam? If you eat of this fruit, you shall surely what? Die. Is, is there any room for objective thinking in that, right? You shall surely what? Die. If you eat of this tree, you shall surely 
die. And what did Adam do but eat of the fruit, right? Of the tree that he was not supposed to eat of. And so because God is just, what, did he, what, was, what does God bound to do now? Follow through with his punishment. Because he is just. And because he is good. And because he is holy. Um, so pause for a minute. I know we've got a few parents in here. Most of us are past that. Uh, most of you are past that stage. But um, if you set out a punishment for your child and you, know, you clearly have stated, here's the rules. Here's the punishment for those rules. When they break the rules, what should you probably do? Carry through with the punishment you already set. All right? So I would say be very careful of laying down harsh punishment rules until you're ready to carry through with those. Um, one thing I learned to do that I had to learn to do was never to give a punishment out. Oh, you did this? Well, this is your punishment. I cannot do that in anger. Right? Because if I'm in the moment and angry about said whatever problem they did, and I'm like, you're grounded for life from your Xbox or whatever, and I'm really punishing joy because I'm at work and the kids can't play Xbox, right? Right? You following with me? So being very careful uh, not to throw a punishment out, you're not willing to carry through. Okay, I'm not saying don't have rules, but I'm saying we have a tendency to say you're grounded for two weeks and a day later they have their phone back because we're tired of them, right? And so be careful how you uh, just throw out. And so God, was God careless in his rules? Was God careless in saying, well, if you eat, you're going to die. I'm going to kill you. W was he? He wasn't careless, was he? But Adam... Eight, God is just and God is holy and God is good. So he had to fulfill the punishment. Therefore, sin entered the world because of Adam's choice and death by sin, right? And so death entered in and there now needs to be a payment for that death. Romans 3, uh, for that sin, Romans 3.21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified, justified, justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by the blood through faith to demonstrate His what? His righteousness. God was demonstrating to us that He is just, He is righteous, that He set out the punishment, sin equals death, and because sin equals death, and because God is righteous and God is just, sin has to equal death, right? And so he sent Jesus to be the payment, the substitutionary death, for what? For who? Me, you, right? Because of sin. 26. Let's read 25 again. Whom God has set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I'm glad God is just. And because God is just, he sent his son, Jesus, to die in my place. God is not only just, but God is good. Again, I think these kind of go together, Luke 18, 19. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. Jesus says God is 
good. God is good. Number uh, the next one there, number eleven, or where are we at now? God is love. John three sixteen says, "God loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting love." Life. God demonstrated His love. We read there in John three sixteen. But 1 John 1, 4, 8 doesn't just say God demonstrates His love, but that God is, in fact, what? Love. John 4, 8, it's right there on your outline. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Aren't you thankful that, so let's backtrack what we talked about, that even though God is in all places and all times, and God sees and knows everything, your thoughts, and God knew and saw your thoughts before you even spoke or, saw, or, or even thought your thoughts, right? Before you thunk it, he knew it. And yet he still chose to knit you together in your mother's womb, even though he knew you'd be born into sin. He still loves you. Are, are you, do you. Do you think that we really grasp the love of God I don't think we really can. I don't think we really can. The number uh, 12, which is kind of the culmination, I guess, of these, is God is knowable. Aren't you glad that God chooses to know us and to allow us to know Him? It changes everything, doesn't it? In fact, as we just read, God wanted us to know Him so much that He revealed Himself to the Old Testament prophets. He revealed himself through his son, Jesus, and now through his word. And, and to think of this Bible, and we talk about how blessed we are to have this Bible, there, there's no other book in history that has had withstood the attacks that the Bible has withstood. And the fact that we still have the Bible is a testimony to, to God's power. It's a testimony to God's love. It's a testimony to that God, this is, this is God's revelation of himself to us, that God wants to know me, and God wants me to know him. The creator who spoke the worlds into existence, Matthew and Luke tell us, he knows my name. The scripture, I think it was the Psalms, maybe Proverbs says he collects my tears and he knows the hairs on my head the Bible says that a bird doesn't fall to the ground that God doesn't know it but then he goes on to say but how much more valuable are you than not just a bird he actually goes on to say than many birds the, think about that for a moment the God who created the universe knows you he loves you and he sent his son to die for you. Does that, does that blow you away? It, sh it should blow you away. And he wants, to, he wants to talk with you. He wants you to talk with him. And that's what we're going to go do. We're going to go pray, all right? So let, let me pray and we'll dismiss.